Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Brittany Williams here in the studio. Hello, Brittany. Hello, Sarah. How are you? It's lovely to see you and your belly. Yeah, my belly. It has. I saw you last week, and I think I've popped since you saw me. Most Easily. notably. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noted. It was the day before Valentine's Day. <laughs> I had a belly button on a Friday, and then like on a Sunday, it was gone. Like it just. <laughs> it's 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 gone. We have a missing day. belly button. Yeah, it's gone. No, it's there. It. It's actually the opposite. I didn't have one beforehand because it was hiding, and now it's out in the open, living its truest self, living its best life, living loud and proud. Yes, yes, for sure. Oh my goodness! All right. So speaking of Valentine's Day, you you and your husband went out to dinner. We're we recording did. this on Wednesday, the day after. And um, tell folks what time you ate dinner there, Brittany. <laughs> I went. My husband knows me well, and he made a reservation for five thirty. Uh, for frame of reference, I am thirty four, and he is thirty two. Uh, so definitely, we're the youngest people at the uh, restaurant. But I just, you know, it's a Valentine's Day, and sometimes the meal takes a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And he knew we were going to go get ice cream afterwards. <laughs> And I wanted to be in bed at a normal, like by like nine, eight thirty. And so he's just like, he knows better. Don't make a seven o'clock reservation because we're not going to get home and the whole, you know, the sure, whole horse and pony sure. show. Horse and pony? Is that Dog, and pony. Dog, Dog and pony. Dog and pony, show. yes. Uh-huh, yes. Uh, so I went to dinner at 530 and then we went to Salt and Straw and we got there and there was like barely any line because it, people were still eating dinner. And then yes. by the time we left. There was a huge line. Look so, at you. Look at you. Saying, Avoid the rush. I got I had eight hours of sleep last night. So I got my full <laughs> evening done and sleep. So yeah. yes. I think win, win, win across yes. the board for everybody. Involved. And I do have to say, I find that people eat dinner very early in Portland. If you go to a restaurant at 6.15, I find it's hard to get a seat. But then if you're at 7.15, it's pretty easy to find a oh, seat. I disagree. Oh, look at you. Maybe Big it's time. just where maybe you just go to more trendy places than I do. Maybe. That might yeah. be it. Mm-hmm. That might be it. Yeah. I do feel as I've gotten older, I have noticed that there's definitely two crowds. Like like if mm. you go at the 5.30, 6 o'clock, you've got families, you'll have kids, etc. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when you go at 8, 9, it's just young 20s everyone's dressing up a little bit more like it's just funny that like and that's kind of their second wave of things too because i'm convinced there's so many restaurants in portland the only way they can all stay in business is if those younger people do kind of two seatings a night yes they go somewhere to have drinks and kind of apps little snacks then kind of Mm -hmm. hang Mm -hmm. and then go out for a real meal it is amazing how many amazing restaurants we have here in portland if you're looking for a foodie vacation spot Oh, Portland in the summer is a place to be. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. But I just sometimes feel it's my job to try to keep all those places in business and I just can't do it. Yeah, I do. I I literally drove by Bollywood Theater after Salt and Straw and they're closed on Tuesdays, Mm -hmm. uh, which was last night. And I looked at my husband and I go, no. (laughs) He's like, 
they're only open like Wednesday through Sunday. <laughs> Don't freak out. I was like, we didn't do our job. <laughs> exactly. I do that with a couple boutiques here in town. It's like, okay, sir, it's not your job to keep frock in business. Right. But they're but it's, you know, owned by two women, so it kind of feels like the clothing equivalent of another mother runner. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean I think it's great though that the community has a sense of I mean, ownership isn't the word, but a sense of <laughs> you know, pride in the places around them. So yeah. I think it's a good feeling. Don't, yeah. don't okay. dull that flame, Sarah. Okay. 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 <laughs> but don't feel guilty if something goes out of business. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my goodness. So my son and I made a quick trip since I've seen mm-hmm. you last. We flew down to Los Angeles on Friday and back on Saturday for his callback audition. I learned that term callback audition for Carnegie Mellon, which is in Pittsburgh, but they were, had come to these things called Unifieds. So kind of a central place where everybody comes together and does their callback audition. So it means that he's put in pre-screen stuff. So he sent them videos of him doing song and dance. And this is for musical theater BFA. And then he was one of the chosen few to go back for a callback audition. So And Carnegie Mellon is deemed the second best musical theater BFA program in the country. I mean, Carnegie Mellon... I know nothing about that. Uh, I was going to say industry, but that uh, that already shows you that I don't know anything about <laughs> about that the art world yeah. because I called it an industry. Uh, and I think like Carnegie Mellon and Juilliard are like the only two that I could like quickly name off the top of my head <laughs> with like confidence that like if you're going there, you know what you're doing. Yeah. You are a talent, oh, and John has a lot yes. of talent. Oh, thanks, thanks, thanks. So it was it was at a hotel. And, oh, he was very nervous leading mm. up to he was nervous the day before. And How does that work for you as a mom? Well, so then, nervous. so Friday morning before we left, I went swimming. And while I was there, I thought, okay, I need to tell John, tell him explicitly that I know he had told me he was anxious mm-hmm. beforehand, before I was in the pool. And so I thought, okay, I need to just say to him, I know you're anxious, so you get to lead the conversation. I'm not going to fill in the silence. Right. Things like that. So if he's not talking, then I won't talk. Okay. Um, so I told him that, and he said he appreciated that. That's good. So we went out for a nice dinner. We went for a nice walk to the restaurant because we didn't have a rental car because we were just staying right near the airport. And uh, we got kind of lost on the way back a little bit. We, we took the scenic route, and it turned out that it dead-ended at a freeway. So we had to backtrack almost the entire way to the restaurant oh, to get back out. But it was it was fine. There are a lot of blooming plants and you know fruit growing on trees, lemon trees, yeah. orange trees. So that was, that was exciting coming when from Portland. When will he hear back? Next month, probably. Yeah. So he had, for the auditions, they did a group, what they call movement and dance session. And uh, they had an alumna there who led the session. And afterwards, she said to John, she said, dude, you are such a great dancer. Oh, <laughs> So that was very exciting. That's great. Yes. And but he is managing his expectations. They only accept 12 students total for the incoming class. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Come, wait. <laughs> 12. 12. See, they, they are very... Uh, binary Wait. they had six men and six women 12 total total for to the, the for like incoming the freshman incoming class freshman. Mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah so then so that is mm-hmm. unbelievable <laughs> it is it is most bfa programs are that prestigious i mean that or that limited in the right. numbers so that you know maybe they'll have 20 total right some place some quote-unquote bigger places yeah Ooh, really gone crazy really yes (laughs) so he's he's that student teacher ratio must be insane (laughs) so he's he's managing his expectations and then 
On Friday, he has a virtual callback audition for University of Southern California, the only school he's looking at on the West Coast. Yes, that's where I wanted to go. I was convinced. Oh, Mm -hmm. wow. I, I got in, got a full ride, and then at the very last minute, changed my mind. Wow. Like 11th hour. My parents were like, come again. <laughs> but it worked out. Best decision of my life. Oh, good. I love USC, though. Wow. Nice. Nice. Yes. My husband, Jack, is very excited at the thought of John going to yeah, such a, a great school. big powerhouse. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, so he has that audition and he's figured out where it will be and he's going to move all the furniture in my bedroom and that he'll do the, you know, we're going to do a practice Zoom so he knows it all works. So very exciting times. But after that, then it's just a waiting game. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, today's guest is Andrea Kelly. I don't know if she's a dancer or not, uh, <laughs> or a musical theater fan. Uh, Andrea, though, her true passion in life is inclusive sizing. She is divisional merchandising manager of inclusive sizing at Columbia Sportswear, where she's worked for nearly a dozen years. Andrea is based here in Portland, Oregon, where Columbia is headquartered. Andrea is a size inclusion advocate with a robust apparel background rooted in extensive product line management and product development. She believes strongly that the outdoors are for everyone and strives to make changes in the industry. Andrea was named one of Outdoor Biz Journal's 20 most influential people in the outdoor industry. Andrea herself has been the face of change as a curvy model. Thanks for talking with us, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. Andrea, how did you get, obviously you have an amazing uh, resume here, but how did you get to where you are today? A very long and cobblestone sort of path with lots of left and right turns. <laughs> as, as it should be. As, as it, should, it be. should be. No straight lines, right? Oddly enough, I started out um, out of school with a psychology degree and worked in tech for software companies. And, and now I make jackets for a living. Funny thing. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it went sort of a, a weird route. I started out as a, a systems trainer and ended up getting a job with Nike in the early 2000s, teaching everybody how to use their internal systems that they use to manufacture product. And in the course of the couple of years I was doing that, I ended up finding myself a position with ACG, who was making all sorts of outdoor gear, which tied in exactly with why I moved to the Pacific Northwest as an avid hiker and rafter and biker and mountain climber and all of those things. To be able to to actually have influence on what the product was that was being made was a huge opportunity. So that's where I started. Moved down to Southern California for a while and did outerwear development for DC Shoes. And then when I came back to Portland, there was a position open also still in development at Columbia Sportswear, and that's when I joined them in 2010. What was really exciting about the position, I mean, there were a number of things that were exciting, but Columbia Sportswear is the first place I've worked in my entire career where I can actually wear the product that I make in my size. So that was a, a big shift, you know, not wearing the men's version anymore or wearing something a little too snug or not exactly what I needed and just settling. So that was definitely a selling feature of coming to join this company. What would you say? It sounds like you enjoy the outdoors. What kind of fitness endeavors do you like to partake in? Hiking, camping, for sure. It's been a while since I've been on a raft. Something about having children and the thought of your head coming into contact with rocks under the water sort of changes your perspective. <laughs> I just got back on my snowboard for the first time in a long time, and I'm surprised to see that the turns still connect. So uh, rekindling that love. But yeah, those are, those are the things that I'd love to do, for sure. Nice, nice. 
Okay, so for this episode, it was a first time for me. I went to LinkedIn to scout out the background of a guest. Usually I'm there perusing Instagram, but I was like, oh, LinkedIn, that's where I'm going. So I was pleased to find that you wrote in your bio, quote, I take every opportunity to use my voice, my expertise, and my passion to shout from the rooftops about the importance of size inclusion and body diversity. So tell us more about shouting from that proverbial rooftop. Well, first of all, I'm going to say I'm glad that people read what I have on LinkedIn, so that's great. (laughs) At least I'm doing something right. So shouting from the rooftops, I will talk to anybody and everybody for as long as they let me about size inclusion in the outdoors. Oftentimes that's preaching to the choir with the communities that I've become connected with, because that's what really keeps me motivated and keeps me going. But more often than not, part of my role is in education. Can't fix something you don't know is broken. So anytime I have the opportunity to talk to somebody, whether it's a retailer in one of my favorite stores that doesn't care my size or having the opportunity as a keynote speaker or meeting with our design team, just to share intel and information and perspective of what it's like to be in a body like mine and in a body like so many to educate and open their eyes, to to give them some insight on what it's like and where the opportunities are. I'm going to take that opportunity. At one point early on, when I was a little more feisty and spicy, I actually (laughs) had some business cards made and I would go into a retail shop and poke around realizing they didn't have my size and, you know, sort of window shop and find a couple things I'd like. But before I left, I'd write on this little card. It said, you have forfeited a blank amount of dollars sale today by not carrying my size. And then on the back, I had all these stats about mm. 69% of women in North America plus size and so on. So those those were my spicy days. I've, I've dialed it back a little bit and I've got a little more strategic about <laughs> it. But yeah, there's there's a lot of people who've been underserved and marginalized for a really long time. And, and I happen to be in a place where I can do something about it. And fortunately, I tend to be extroverted. So mm. I have I have no qualms in using my voice for the people who haven't found theirs yet. Nice. Nice. And did anyone then ever kind of follow you out of the store and talk to you about or follow up with you once you left one of those cards? No, I think they were terrified. (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, or it was the sales clerk who happened to be working her shift that day and had no say or no power. Right, right, right. Hopefully she passed it on to her boss, though. I, I would hope so. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsors who make this show possible. When we come back, we'll dive into questions from our Facebook community. Trust me, you want to stick around for this one. All right, so we often turn to our Facebook audience for questions, but I'm not sure we've ever had a topic that lit up the internet like this one. And I want to just share uh, two quotes about that before we go on. So Valley wrote, this comment section reads like a love letter to the sisterhood. And Donna said, I feel seen in these comments. This feed alone is healing and helpful. And then I also loved, Andrea, that one of your friends tagged you in the comments (laughs) saying that, you know, that Andrea Kelly definitely needs to see this. So I know that you're the right person to be answering these questions. So, so let's jump in. And Camille starts with, why is women's sizing so inconsistent? And she mentioned in particular, you know, that like when she signs up for a race, she never knows what size T to request because there can be so much fluctuation in the sizing. And then before I let you answer on the subject of sizing, there's this from Julie who says a large should be a large, not a skinny girl, large, a regular person, large. So what are your thoughts about sizing? Yeah. So I'll tell you just a little caveat on that. I have a friend who was a marketing guy, had nothing to do with the apparel industry. 
and decided at one point that he mm-hmm. wanted to start doing some give back in his community for teaching kids empathy. And he wanted to do that through these t-shirts with these really empathetic sayings. And he and I have known each other since fourth grade. We go way back. We can talk about anything. And he started getting his <laughs> t-shirt blanks in. And he said, I have to ask you a really personal question. You know, my wife is like a size eight and she's barely fitting in an extra large can I ask you what you wear? And I was like, <laughs> welcome to the world of apparel. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's everybody's mm-hmm. frustration. And there's a lot of answers to why it's so inconsistent. The first and easiest thing to tell you is that measurements are two-dimensional and people are three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. So what you see in a measurement doesn't necessarily reflect how it's going to fit on one or many bodies. I have a coworker of mine, and at one point she and I were within half an inch of measurements in each, than each other, mm. and we were different sizes. Oh. One for preference. She liked some things tighter than me, and I liked some things looser than her. So just by choice, we wore mm-hmm. different sizes. Body composition is different too. She carried her weight side to side. I carry my weight front to back. Things are going to mm. fit me different than they fit her, even though the numbers are the same. So the human factor is a piece of it, which is not to say that it's on the end user, certainly. Clothes mm-hmm. should fit the people and not the other way around. The other thing I think that is the biggest challenge is there's just so many brands who are trying to serve these consumers and we all have a different base size model. So now, you know, in the day of AI writing our resumes for us <laughs> and all the technologies that we have for us, there are some tools now that build 3D models of body types. Browseware is one that we use at Columbia where we can actually see a three-dimensional model. And I would hope that over some time, apparel brands, maybe there's some consortium that gets formed that says, this is what the true medium is. But between now and then, companies are trying to do their best with who they think their consumer is and building the right product to fit that person. Has a lot to do with end use too. If we're building a base layer, it's going to have a completely different fit than a snowboarding jacket. So mm-hmm. one brand may be looking at things that are closer skin, where maybe the consumer thinks it's supposed to be more of a relaxed fit. So there's a lot of an interpretation of what the end use of the garments is, which also predicates what the measurements are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually one thing that I was going to chime in and say, and a little bit of background about me that listeners may not know, but I worked for Under Armour for 12 years uh, as a senior account manager. So I was the person who was the in-between between Under Armour and the wholesale retailer. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that always shocked me was how little consumers paid attention to a company saying this is built for the gym, built for running, built for swimming. What mean, Well, swimming, I guess you right. probably are just wearing a swimsuit, but you get what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> and how much yeah. thought goes in from the company side into running apparel tends to be more fitted versus something in the gym tends to be more looser and democratic and fit. And I think once you start to, uh, companies need to do a better job of educating, I think, Mm -hmm. those things to people. Because once you know what you're looking at, you have such a better, I think, shopping occasion because you know, okay, all the things, at least I can only speak for Under Armour, everything in running is a little bit fit, more form-fitting than everything in training. Just knowing that alone can completely change the shopping experience. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts on, you know, we're talking mainly, Camille's question was on tees, but then on shorts in seam lengths. And I know this is a big one, and it's been a big one for me as I've gotten older for as well. <laughs> so many shorts are like two, three-inch inseam. Oh, yeah. And the larger nine to seven-inch inseams are really mainly found in that fitted bicycle short. You know, are companies coming out with more options and variety in this areas for those women who are looking for that loose-style short? 
Yeah, I think uh, the, the big answer and the big solution, if I can call it a solution, is choice, right? As I talk mm-hmm. about having so many different varieties of bodies to fit, one of the challenges that we have at Columbia is how many sizes we actually have available to accomplish this. So mm. if 69% of the population of women wear a size 14 and up, we offer right now at Columbia size 1X, 2X, and 3X for our plus size consumers. That's three sizes to cover the majority of the people we're trying to serve, 70%. Extra small mm. for extra large is five sizes to address 30% of the people. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to Goldilocks this to make everything fit everybody with three sizes. So the solution that, that we've been using at Columbia is just giving variety in what we offer. So making sure that when we offer inseams or snowboard pants or a legging, that it comes in short, regular, and long options. We can't do it in everything. There's minimums and there's all sorts of margin implications behind all of it. But we do our best to make sure that when we're offering product, we are giving the customer the option to choose what actually suits them. So they're not stuck with shorty, short shorts and they have other options to choose from. I know other brands tend to do the same thing too, but that's one of the ways that we definitely get around it. For the longest time, I think plus size people have been told what they can wear by brands who say, here's what we're making for you rather than listening to Mm -hmm. what their consumers need. Mm -hmm. So we spend a lot of time engaging with plus size folks who are in the outdoors to get feedback and input of what's important to them and what do they need to make sure that we're not just building stuff for the sake of building stuff, but we're truly addressing needs that exist. And variety and silhouette and length, whether it's an A-line or a bootleg or a skinny or so on, the more choice that we can offer our customers, the better off they're going to be, the happier they're going to be with the purchases that they make. So then I'm intrigued. I mean, that stat of 69% of women consumers are size 12 and up. And yet there's only, I got that right. Yes. Size 12 and up. 14 14 and up. up. Okay. And so, but there's only three sizes um, and then going into lengths, but three sizes for that almost 70% of the demographic. Is there any talk of saying, okay, well then let's only make three sizes for the people who are size zero to through 12 and then more size options for those size 14 and above? you know, to kind of flip the paradigm. Yeah, there's there's lots of talk, let me tell you. And not just at my company, there's there's lots of talk at the industry. I mean, we now see that people's body weights and people's sizes are have been growing over the years. Obesity is on the rise. We're not going to get into health because that's none of my business. It's none of anybody's business. Um, but we are seeing more often than not that we have our larger sizes outperforming some of our smaller sizes and extra smalls are not moving. I went into a retailer, a global retailer that sells up to 4X in store before Black Friday and sell product up to 4X, which was great. And when I went in after Black Friday, there was nothing larger than a large in the store. Mm. Everything else that was on the rack was extra small, small, medium. And I was like, huh, maybe it's because consumer profiles and body sizes are shifting. How about that? So there's lots of conversation Mm -hmm. about just adjusting that size curve for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think sometimes it's uh, a question of people, the anticipation they have of whether they're going to be able to find their sizes. So another mother runner has a small online store and I was very proud to carry extra small through 4X, but the 3X and 4X tops were barely selling. And I think it's just because people don't anticipate that a smaller retailer is going to be selling bigger things. And so, or a wider size range. And so 
I don't know. It's I sometimes think that then when people see it, you know, if it's at a store, they'll snap it up. And you were saying, Brittany, you were saying before we got on that there's so much more to be found online. Than yeah, so person. you it was definitely two things when you said that that came to mind. One, at least I know in my experience with the retailers that I worked with, the I think inclusive sizing experience online is so much friendlier and I think consumer focused online than it is in store, knowing that you have such limited foot space. I think uh-huh. that given the stats that you're giving, I think that we as a community should probably push that, right? Mm-hmm. But sure. I remember one of the biggest things, and I'm really curious, Andrea, what your thoughts are. One of the last kind of projects that I was working on before I left Under Armour a year and a half ago was most retailers were separating inclusive to being their own section of the store. Yep. So you walk in into your average sporting goods store, you'd see Nike, you'd see Columbia, you'd see Aloe Yoga, whatever it is. And then there was a section Yes. For inclusive sizing. And the conversation was, is it a better shopping experience for her if we put everything together so that you don't feel like you're being pinpointed? You don't feel like you have a target on your back that you have to go to the separate size. Mm-hmm. And how do we better integrate everything to, for one cohesive experience for the consumer? That's probably the number one question I get asked by our wholesale partners. Yeah. Where do we put it, the It was a big one. And, yeah. and I would say... And how do you make sure they know it's there? That's, then, so that's, the, that's yeah. the trick, right? <laughs> from what I hear, from what I've gathered, from what I've experienced as a shopper myself, integration is key. We're tired of being segregated. We're tired of being othered. I want to shop with my girlfriend. I want to go on the same yep. rack and hold it up and yep. go, look, it comes in your size. Check this out. And I've had some of those experiences at retailers who do it well. The trick is if you're going to do it, you have to do it well. Because we have been conditioned and programmed to go to the back corner. That's where our stuff Correct. is. And I don't yep. have to think about it. I just go. I don't even have to think about it. If I don't see that big sign that says plus sizes, I don't know where to go. And oftentimes mm. in a retailer's store, not everything they have comes in plus sizes. So I don't want to go through the rack, like pulling a lousy slot machine going 10, 12, nope, 10, nope. And it's just like failure after failure after failure. So for retailers who want to integrate, it's important that you make it very clear. We have mixed sizes here. This style goes up to 4X. You can find more in your size online. You have to make it clear that she is one, welcome and Two, knows that that's where to find her product now. So she's not just wandering around. I think the other thing that's really key is training retail staff on the floor. I've been in a number of stores where I know they carry plus sizes. I was in part of some of the rollouts and they can't tell me where on the floor the plus size product is. So if they can't find it, I can't find it. And if Mm, I can't find it, it's not going to sell, which means it's Mm going to end up on clearance, which means they're going to think it's not important, which means they're going to stop offering it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I think mannequins also is a big part of that conversation as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Every time I go into Athleta, I hug the mannequins. <laughs> I do. They're my girls. Yeah, they and do a great I love job. It that all sized mannequins are put together because the skinny girls talk to the big girls. Like yep. they're all friends. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, I think Athleta is a brand that does it really well. And again, not everything they carry is in plus sizes, but it's very clear when I walk into a store, like, I'm not going to go through that rack of sports bras because it tells me it just goes up to XL. Oh, this one goes up to Mm -hmm. 4X? Here's my stuff. And I think Mm -hmm. the clearer you can make it without being, like, sappy about it, like, look, we're catering to you. Like, nobody wants Mm -hmm. that candy-coated garbage. Mm -hmm. We just want to be treated Mm -hmm. equally. Mm -hmm. I remember a million years ago, I was in an Ann Taylor store 
with Dimity, my business partner. I'm 5'11", she's almost 6'4", and I started to wander into the petite section. And, yeah, what and, were uh, you doing there? And, right, exactly. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. And I'm like, wait, it's all petite. And I just kind of slowly backed out of there. And I was like, <laughs> they ought to make the ceiling lower in there no, so that you know. That you know. <laughs> That's a visual cue. Yes, oh my yes. Gosh. I would bump my head if I tried to shop in there. Yeah, yeah. So so you talking about the, the different lengths. Uh, we had Karen who wanted to know about tall sizes in running gear. Mm. And that so, you know, she has a long leg as well as long torso, and she can find a couple manufacturers, but she has to just keep going to those. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts about tall sizes? I think they're just as important. I will say it's fascinating to me that women's talls are not very prolific Mm -hmm. in the apparel industry, whether it's outdoor or active or fashion. It's sort of shocking to me. So for our men's customers and and our expanded size range, we offer bigs and we offer talls. So anybody who's a large, lanky fellow like my dad, he can buy talls. But it's strange that we don't do women's. And we look around and there's really, truly only a couple brands and I'm not really sure why. I will say the fact that it took until 2015 for retailers to figure out how many plus size people there were on the planet. Mm it's taken a long time. There's more research to be done, right? There's, we need to find more data on petites. We need to find more data on talls in general, actually finding information on um, men's data points on far size is still not as readily available as plus sizes. So we know consumers are out there. We know that the need is out there. It's just a matter of getting our hands on the data that shows us what it is we should actually be offering them. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a miss. There's an opportunity there. I think one thing, too, that I would recommend, again, coming from someone who used to sell this product, is taking the time, whether you're clicking on style description online or you're going in in the store and looking at a hang tag, length is very similar to size, meaning what normal is for Columbia is not going to be the same as Patagonia, is not going to be the same as Nike, and is learning the numbers. Yes. And learning that I really love a 29-inch mm. inseam length or 27 because then, and unfortunately that puts some of the onus on the end user. Right. But I think that, I just think that's so helpful for me that I might love a Capri from Nike, but it's a legging at Under Armour and it's a short <laughs> for, sure. for somebody else. Yeah. Which I think this having these little things in your back pocket, I think can be helpful because it does take time. I think I do think the industry is getting better at offering more. It yeah. takes time to turn a ship, of course. Yes. Uh, but having those little tips, I think, in the back pocket, I don't know, at least for me as a consumer has helped. And I and I this isn't a problem that I have struggled with, but when it because I'm five five, so I'm as about as not tall and not short as you can get, but it is certainly it is certainly helped for my personal preference. And I could only imagine if I did have to struggle with needing a petite or a tall that it would help. Yeah, yeah, I I will say, man, yeah. size charts on a website are life. Um, like get yourself professionally measured yes. because yes. every company's measurements are so different. They're based on different fit models, but usually every size guide will show you how to measure. So you know where to check your bust, you know where to measure your waist and so on and so forth. I look at them every time I shop online. I have to, because you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to measure something. And, and you're right. Some may run long, some may run baggier. A lot of times, especially if you're clicking on the PDP on websites, it'll say relaxed fit, active fit. So that gives you some inclination, but it's the measurements right. that are really going to tell you where things are going to fit. And And I know that there's a lot of ego and a lot of personal feeling about what those numbers look like. The numbers don't matter. And it's, mm-hmm. that's a mental thing to get to. I remember I, um, I gave a keynote speech 
a number of years ago and somebody came up to me afterwards and it was nothing that I had said directly from my speech, but her takeaway from it was that she was going to go home and cut all the size labels out of the back of her clothes. Because mm, mm, mm. it, it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like the clothes should Correct. fit you, you know? And so if, if you can find a way to get your mindset in a place where the, the number is not reflective of who you are as a person, just read the size charts and that will guide you brand for brand about what should fit. That's the first place I go when I look at something. I go to the size charts. I think this is a good segue into one of Patty's comments, which made me giggle a little bit because it's more about the her the crotch of a of a legging and not just the inseam and how often she says i can't buy running tights unless they're seven eight links which for anyone listening that's more of a crop length even if they're too long she's willing to have or, or she has to be willing to have excess material and it drives her nuts that when they shorten the length of the legs they don't change the rise of the pants so the crotch sags which mm. i very much understand i feel like i have a lot of crotch issues with my <laughs> with my leggings i don't know if it's an inseam problem or if it's a, if it's a torso problem but uh i read this this comment and got a good giggle because i'm like oh, I, I hear you i hear you patty i hear you with the crotch sag do you remember when we all used to wear pantyhose <laughs> and we buy them in the Don't little plastic us. legs, eggs, and at some point in the day they would have sunk down oh, and you yeah. had that saggy. Oh, worst. The yes. worst. Yes, um, the worst. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, finding finding brands that actually specialize in petites is just as important as brands who carry plus sizes. All, all sizes matter, right? Um, it's important for everybody to find what they need. And I think you know, I, I think about that question of like, okay, well, they can shorten this, but they can't shorten the crotch. Well, as soon as they shorten the crotch, that's another customer. It's not going to fit, right? Because we're all so different. That's, mm-hmm, the, that's mm-hmm. the challenging piece of it. So again, that's where I come in with the idea that options are important. There's got to be choice. Low rise, mid rise, high rise, short cropped, bell bottom, because it's not a Goldilocks story. We're never going to be able to fit everybody with the same piece of clothing. So mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that. I completely understand. And that. that's one thing too, I find online has been really helpful for that too, because often I know I own 600 pairs of black leggings and you walk, into you, a store. <laughs> you walk into a store and you see 600 pairs of black leggings. And unless the store is perfectly Like you walk in at 10 a.m. when they open, it's really hard sometimes to tell the differences in high rise because we all have 600 black pairs of leggings. And these days, most companies are offering you 600 different kinds, (laughs) but you can't tell the difference. So personally, and this might just be the millennial in me, I would much rather go online, type in high rise legging and get all the options um, because I have found surprisingly most major companies are making their best sellers in medium and high rise. But when I walk into the store, I might not never know. I just, whatever one I pick up first is the one I assume is standard. Mm. Right. And you can't tell looking on a hanger. Oh, you can't tell at all. Unless it's like an ultra high rise maternity legging, like (laughs) goes all the way up to your boobs. Like it's. And it's got like an eight inch band around the top. Yeah. Yeah. I did order my first pair of maternity leggings. I'm I'm pregnant, if you didn't know that. But it was, okay. and I I pulled those things up, and they went up. I was like, I could wear this as a, a bodysuit. <laughs> exactly. Well, crop top, and you're all set. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I a lot of stores now. I think Lululemon started it, but a lot of them have a pant wall these days. Yeah. Um, Athleta does for sure. Like you can go in, and so you actually get a visual cue, which is helpful. 
But yeah, I think comparing something on a hanger to an image on a website, it's night and day for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we heard from a lot of gals on the Facebook page that they're hoping people start designing for short and curvy girls. Mm-hmm. That, that's what Megan was saying. And Patty was saying, why do clothing designers seem to think petite means we don't have hips or thighs? <laughs> Uh, um, so then Julie chimed in and said, Athleta has a number of tops that listed as CYA cover your assets. And then Megan chimed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> totally brilliant. I loved that. And that, but then Megan replied that those tops run really small. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, come on. So what are your thoughts about those, you know, the short and curvy that petite doesn't just mean short and skinny. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go back again to saying that measurements are 2d and people are 3d right we're just we come in all different shapes and sizes and that will continue to be the biggest challenge for the apparel industry regardless if it's outdoor or fashion there's just so many diverse body shapes and types in this world ages preferences all of those things i'm not going to say no to anything you tell me because those people exist like Mm -hmm. there's a need there's absolutely a need and again as, as the apparel industry continues to connect with communities and connect with the people who are actually buying their product and diving into the reviews that they get on the websites. I think the more they hear from these customers, the more they'll begin to understand what those needs look like and can shift their approach to, to being more inclusive in what they offer. What are your thoughts? I think generally just around body acceptance as a whole, I think that's obviously a, a big theme of this conversation. Sure. Mia made a comment about you know, being a runner and a running coach, actually, who wears a 3X and wanting to see more sizes and feeling left out. And I think that it's not just about having options, but there's also a feeling and an emotion that ties back to the clothing. And, you know, she she mentions that larger runners already feel like outsiders uh, mm-hmm. and she wants to feel like she belongs, which they absolutely do. But, but what can we do? And what are your thoughts on just preaching maybe a little bit more acceptance within the run community? Sure. It's interesting because when I when I was working on plus sizes sort of as the side hustle on top of the real hustle at Columbia, <laughs> um, I had a lot of time to talk to consumers and make sure we were offering more product and getting our product offering up so there were more choices. What we didn't have time to do was actually tell anybody about it. <laughs> so that was the second half of the equation. You know, there was a lot of pushback about, well, we're not seeing revenue. I'm like, well, if we told anybody that we're doing anything different, because if they never walked into our store before... Why would they know? So, you know, part of it is if you build it, they will come. The other piece of it is you have to tell them you're doing it, invite them to be mm-hmm. part of the conversation, but also make them feel welcome in imagery. So that's that's a big push that we've been working on um, with our photography studio, Columbia, making sure that the ads that we put out or the marketing that we put out or the in-store visuals that we have are representative regardless of race, size, shape. That's one thing because it it really truly does make a difference to see ourselves represented in these types of imagery. Um, Early on in my position, somebody had asked me, we were in a department store and and looking at some of the imagery they had around in in one of these women's departments. And she said, do you mean to tell me that if they don't have a picture of a plus size woman in that suit, you wouldn't buy it? And I said, I don't, I don't think that I wouldn't buy it. I, I mean, I still need to buy things, but it tells me more about the brand than it tells me about the product when I see somebody who looks like me. Mm. I like that. It matters. It matters to see people who look like us. So I see more and more people out on the trail who look like me. I see more and more people out on the slopes who look like me. And there's just this, 
I think it was VW bugs or like motorcyclists like flash their lights at each at each other when they pass, right? Or VWs honk their horns or whatever. It's very much the same thing when you see somebody out on a trail or out in the outdoors or out on a run that looks like you. There's just a sense of community and camaraderie and that really matters. And I think it's up to these brands to tap into that and start making these people come front and center. That's that's part of the reason that I do curvy modeling. Nobody's going to change the face of fashion. If I have to use my face to do it, I will. I mean, we're the ones who are going to be that change. So I think from an inclusion standpoint and feeling welcomed, these brands who are building product for these people not only have a responsibility to to make the gear available, but but show outwardly that they're accepted and they're welcomed and they're part of the community. And I think, I mean, well, I think you're definitely right. And it's funny that it just makes me, while you're talking, I'm thinking about just my own experience as we, you, you, you mentioned race. I'm like, man, this is... This conversation can go to so many different populations of just <laughs> companies need to do a better job of just include variety sure. mm-hmm. across every metric that yes. possibly could exist. Mm-hmm. A, a variety sure. to me, it just it and never just hurts anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 I think there was I think there were some questions about age in there as well around um, how everything and I've I've seen this recently everything's a crop top these days like that and that's definitely the trend and i love a good crop top i will admit <laughs> it but there certainly are days where i don't want one sure and i know i believe it was melissa who brought this up just about like age is also a, a variable here when it mm-hmm. comes to diversity as well and making sure that waistbands are wider and higher and you know just making sure that we're not just thinking of the muse as you know, 25 year old right. Julie, you right. know, who, who's yeah, out there perfect. running, who's yeah. running a 245 marathon. Like yeah. it's, that's not necessarily who's always buying the clothing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. So let's get into some specific features that people had questions about. Christina says, as someone with a fairly pudgy tummy, she hates high waisted quote, control top compression leggings. Uh Um, She's like, please give me a mid-rise pant. And then Pam said, bring back mid-rise running tights. I don't want tights that come up to my sports bra. Going back to (laughs) to Brittany's. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, her bando. Yes. So so talk about coming trends. How long do you think high-waisted is going to be the thing? Well, I hope it lasts long enough that low-rise doesn't come back because, dear God, the low-rise from the 90s, please, (laughs) please don't. I once I once had somebody tell me in a professional setting that if low rise goes any lower, the waxing industry is going to take off. <laughs> so let's not go back to those days. Uh-huh. You know, the, the trend that's shifting now is less about rise and it's actually more about leg shape. So um, oh, hmm. bell bottoms coming back. And I wouldn't say like full on 70s flare per se, but yes. wider leg, more relaxed fit, a little mm-hmm. more roomy or more um, stovepipey, I would call. And there's definitely a shift that goes along with that because if you have a high rise with that type of leg, that's a whole lot of pant. So, so <laughs> you know, to keep a balance in the design of a product, I think those rises are going to start coming down in relation to the balance of a, a wider leg pant. But again, everybody has their preference, right? I know that I'm still rocking a skinny mm-hmm. jean, even though my 17-year-old old tells me that I'm old news. Right. But I think, again, like to, to have the options of finding... What suits you? Some people love a high rise. Some people like to be snatched in. Some people really don't. It's too constrictive. So again, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going back to the the conversation of of choice and and making sure that there's a diverse enough offering. And I think what's great about that is maybe there's not a diverse offering in a particular brand, but 
there's so many brands that you can choose from that maybe one's good for low rise and one's good for a seven eights and one's good for compression. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, the idea is that this industry should be offering more for people can, who can really choose what they want. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to watch those rises mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> Cause I know my body shape and I know which one I prefer. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too. Now that I'm no longer working for a brand and I can truly come to a store as a consumer. It's interesting. You think, okay, would you prefer a brand, a singular brand to have seven different fits, but they're Mm -hmm. talking to seven different consumers, but you don't know which one's which, and you kind of have to try them all on. Or is it better for a brand to be consistent with their fit? And that Mm -hmm. might mean that brand's not necessarily for you because it's Mm -hmm. not what you want. Because so for example, Uh, you know, the question about needing mid-rise, I'm upset. I'm like, no, give me high rise. Like, give <laughs> exactly. me suck everything in, yeah. you know, and that's just a personal preference. And, and it's kind of interesting where it kind of becomes a differentiator for a brand of our muse and the consumer that we're going after is the woman who loves high rise. That's not to mean she's better or worse than the no. woman who loves mid-rise. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it's so interesting to read how people, I think it's a beautiful thing that people want difference in things. Yeah. Yeah. And while it certainly is really hard for companies, I'm sure to try to be a little bit for everybody. Yeah. I find it more easier as a consumer company, put a stake in the ground of where you want to be. And mm-hmm. then I will know whether or not I should align with you. Kind of like if you were saying, yeah. if you don't see plus sizes for a brand, that is an immediate red flag in your head that that's not the brand for me. And while I think that that brand probably should reevaluate some of their decisions, Mm -hmm. it does, I think, help us with our our shopping experience when you know, all right, like I know I can think of three or four brands where I'm just like, I will not try on a legging until I see major marketing about a change. Not because they're bad. It just doesn't fit my needs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there's a number of reasons. Like I talked about it before, like, body shape is one that the gal that I worked with who had same measurements, I could not wear the same pant as her because the way my body is built, I needed longer rises to cover the booty. Otherwise it was, it was a little lower than I wanted to go, <laughs> even though I had the same measurements. Right. And again, preference, maybe I want to go that low. So there's a number of reasons that people buy the, the fits that they do. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, we're moving in a direction where there are more brands getting in the game and more brands trying to answer that need. And that's going to be nothing but a win for the people who've been waiting for them to get around to it forever. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about the lower half of the body. Yeah. Ke- Kelly wants to know, why are arms so tight in long sleeve running shirts? And I got to say, a lot of gals on our Facebook page want to know that. And me too. Agreed. My gosh. <laughs> and, and one person was like, you know, with everybody doing strength training now more so that, you know, th- these are, and we got a couple of people who are like, I'm an extra small, but the the upper arm just doesn't fit me. And I mean, it's not just for me, long sleeve running shirts. I get sometimes even the forearms of a jacket won't fit me. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, I got kind of beefy upper arms, but I got, you know, what I would deem a. So so you're saying I should, I should take out the forearm exercises in this week's workout, Sarah? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no more squeezing the the grippy, clenchy things with the springs in them. Yes, yes. Walk away, put them down. Yeah, yeah. Oh, why are they narrow? There's so many answers on why they could be narrow. Um, So we talked already about intent of use, right? What the end use is. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, wicking garments fit closer to body so they can do the job better. So it may Mm -hmm. be for that reason. A lot of it has to do with the properties of fabric. 
Maybe mm-hmm. they're just not as stretchy as one would have hoped. Mm-hmm. So that could have been it. Maybe though the stretch or lack of stretch was not accommodated for in the patterning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it could be an issue in the measurements and how they grade up from one size to the next to the next. And they not, may not be adding enough room for ease over body. It could be a, a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And yeah. honestly, again, yeah. they're, they're probably fitting on different models than other brands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots well, of things to think about. <laughs> I like this this question from Nikki. She asked, can you put the grippy stuff in waistbands? My knee brace has it. Why not pants? <laughs> I, I don't see why not. I think that and I have a conversation all the time about um, draw cords. Mm-hmm. Because I know once I get out on trail and I put my granola bar in one pocket and my sunglasses in the other and all the pockets that I have, they start falling and yeah. There, there should be options, 100%. Yeah. What I find is interesting is a lot of the times the, the comments for suggestions for features that I hear from folks in the outdoor industry don't just tell folks in the plus-size community. Like, mm-hmm. who doesn't want a draw cord in their waistband? I know some people are vehemently opposed. I had a very heated conversation about them once. They get tied up in the, in the dryer, I, all those things. They can be easily removed. But to me, that benefits everybody. Um, same thing with... You know, putting abrasion resist panels in a hiking pant. Most people have chabra. I'm just going to go out and say it. <laughs> it's not just for the big girls or the big guys. Like everybody benefits from some of those things. So, mm-hmm. um, or even conversations about the closures that we use on our jackets, whether it's a snap closure or it's like a true Velcro closure. It's not just for petite people. Lots of people have short arms, regardless of what size they actually wear. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of the conversations we have about trims and features and garments aren't just for, they, they benefit everybody. Mm-hmm. I also love this question from Tanya. She asked, why so many large seams in uncomfortable places? I get the need for seams, but come on, minimize the thick rubbing seams. And I actually recently did a video on Instagram and TikTok about this, about how the front seam mm. of a legging, like I said, it parts the Red Sea. Like it just <laughs> is not, I'm like, it just is not a comfortable experience for me. And I know that people are getting away from front seams, but yes. the placement of a seam makes or breaks an experience. <laughs> so I, ha- I have two opposing thoughts about that. I 100% agree with you. But I also know how garments are made. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> obviously, the seams are in the right spots for the reason, because that's where your body bends, right? Correct. <laughs> that's part yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, another thing to think about yeah. with seam placement, I we, yes, we can. We won't talk in detail about the crotch seam, but gussets are yes. amazing. Everybody loves a gusset. Um, a lot of it actually has to do with articulation, where you can actually form the garment to be more body shaped before you even put it on Mm. this is really important in a lot of harder fabrics like a a snowboarding pant or a ski pant or rain jacket where you need a little more articulation so the body isn't just a flat two-piece thing sitting on top of you a lot of times the garments are pre-built in for active movement and placing a seam at the back of the knee where you bend is going to help the garment move a whole lot better with your body It, it makes it more ergonomic so I know there are times that they're real uncomfortable. We spend a lot of time talking about seams on gloves. Mm. There's a lot of abrasion places in gloves too, and that gets really tricky, but I promise you they're there for a reason. Um, Some things could be done to to make it a little more bearable. A lot of times the the type of thread that they use can make it less abrasive. So there are definitely ways of making it a little more palatable, but more often or not, it's there for that reason. It's also there when it comes to construction um, efficiency at the factory on how you're using up parts of the fabric. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So if you've never seen a, a marker, what it looks like on this giant sheet of fabric is they place all the pattern pieces like a giant puzzle and try to have as little extra fabric left over as possible, which then sometimes means, well, let's mm-hmm. make this actually have a seam here so we can piece it into that part of the marker as well. So a lot of it is an efficiency, mm-hmm. which keeps the cost down to mm-hmm. the buyer. Mm-hmm. And sustainability. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, less waste. Yeah, so many things to think about. My goodness. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Okay, so it's the last question. Everyone, everyone, everyone wants to know, why can't there be more pockets on things? You know, you were talking, <laughs> Andrea, about, you know, your sunglasses, your granola bar, you know. It seems there's more, but people still want more. So do we think there's more pockets coming, or what do we think? God, I hope so. I'm on board. I am, <laughs> I am part of the pocket brigade. My wedding gown, I have my gown. Custom wedding gown made custom and had them put pockets in it. Nice. Love that for my wedding. So, yes, I am fully on board with the pockets, pockets, pockets train. Yeah. And, and depending on, again, the garment that you're putting them in, they're, they're definitely more expensive to put into a technical outerwear jacket that you need to try to keep from leaking. Mm-hmm. It's fairly easy, I think, on some knit pieces to drop in a pocket. I've seen some really interesting constructions now through a lot of the legging brands. We have a couple in Columbia that I love. I'm like, every time I wear them, I find another pocket. I'm like, sweet, and this one has a zipper. Oh, there's one back here. So it's a fun little discovery. Mm -hmm. But they can be a a fairly simple construction. I think it just comes to to fabric usage and keeping the price down because the more fabric you use, the the more it's going to end up costing in the long run. So I think there's a balance there of feature to price ratio. Like how much more Mm -hmm. is somebody willing to pay? For 27 mm. pockets versus 15, you know? <laughs> I also think this is a good place, too, where people were paying attention to end-use matters. Because if you think about someone in the gym, probably doesn't yeah. need pockets as much because they've got a bag with them. They may not be carrying a goo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I don't know if I, I don't know the last time I've seen a goo in the gym. I don't, I don't gym. know about your training sessions <laughs> exactly. in the gym, but in my know. training yeah, sessions. <laughs> exactly. So I think gravitating towards brands that are, or pieces that are run specific, outdoor specific, hike, trail, I think all of those things, if you think about what was the company building this piece for, mm-hmm. it, sure. you start to be like, oh man, if I go to the running section, everything has that. Like, I don't think any brand makes like, like I would, I have to hold myself like, okay, make sure you say this properly. I think that most <laughs> brands who are making running bottoms are going to put pockets in most of their running bottoms. Not all, but sure. most. Yeah. Uh, like to me, I think when I need a pocket, I'm going to a running section of a store. No mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. going to a yeah. running store. Mm-hmm. Like yes. runners yeah. need pockets. I think most major companies get that by now. It's mm-hmm. the yeah. yoga kind of mm-hmm. all of that like what does a yoga person need a pocket for okay right. i know yes. i can think of 20 things that she might actually need but the actual act of yoga in that moment you don't need it so you might not find it at a right. lulu as much as you might a brooks mm-hmm. yeah i don't need my cell phone and my keys and my lip balm <laughs> and my you know for a yin yoga class yep exactly <laughs> yes <laughs> yep yep 100 percent yeah oh my goodness all right well andre it's been fascinating talking with you thanks for making time Sure. Again, thanks for having me. This was great. Well, Brittany, I'm glad that you as a five foot five person still run into some issues. So. No one's yeah. immune from issues. No one is immune. No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, not at yeah, all. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, speaking of merch, we have some darling Love the Run merch, our virtual running program just opened up on Monday. So we have that registration open. And in addition, you can tack on either this very darling hoodie. It's in dusty rose. It kind of tends toward 
millennial pink. I just learned that phrase not long ago and said we can jump on that bandwagon and then also have this amazing hat, which has a darling, fabulous sewn on embroidered patch. And it's a kind of hybrid between a trucker and a running hat. And I look like arse in a trucker hat, but not in this one. I love this hat. I wear it all the time. I play, I wear it playing pickleball. I wear it on my walk runs. I take it off before I come into the gym to see you though. So, I know I've never seen it. I want to, uh, can you bring this on Thursday <laughs> so I can see it? And when you sign up either for the Love the Run program or by our merch, you can always use a firm, which is a payment plan we now have on our site for all options that we have on there. So it's at anothermotherrunner.com. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. (laughs) (laughs) Give that woman her name. (laughs) Okay. Okay, you can finish now. Sorry, Barry, (laughs) for whenever you're listening to this.